Amen. So if you've been with us for the last few months, we have been taking a trek, uh, an interesting trek through the book of Ecclesiastes. And we have been talking about and considering this whole idea of the good life. And uh, we've heard about and we have observed a lot that the preacher shared with us uh, about the different ways that people lived in vain and empty ways that certainly does not reflect the good life. And there's a lot of, honestly, there's a lot of hard stuff. And the preacher, in some ways, at times, it seems to make the good life a bit elusive. Uh, so this morning, as I've been praying and meditating on what to share with you this morning, I've had a number of weeks to be planning and preparing. And as I have kind of Ecclesiastes in the backdrop of my mind, one of the things God put on my heart was to really talk about this idea of abiding in Christ. So this morning I want to share with you something that God has taught me, something that God continues to teach me, and that he has to continually remind me of about an essential element of truly living the good life. Now one way to define the good life, so let's start with that. How do we define the good life? And I think one of the ways that we could do that this morning is by looking at the first question of the Westminster Catechism. The first question in the Westminster Catechism says this, what is, or ask the question, what is the chief end of man? Like, what's the main purpose? Why are we here? What's this all about, our being created in the likeness and image of God? What is the chief end of man? And the answer in the Catechism is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen? That, that's, that's why we're here. That's what it's all about. And so with that in mind, we're going to read John chapter 15 this morning. We're going to read most of the first 17 verses. So if you would follow along with me while I read. But two things I want to point out. Number one, this is in the portion of the New Testament or in the Gospel of John that we refer to as the Upper Room Discourse. These are the last, literally the last maybe hour or two, the last moments that Jesus has with his closest followers and friends before he goes to the cross. This is his last pre-resurrection opportunity really to engage with his disciples. So I think he chooses his words very carefully. Second of all, I just want to ask you to listen carefully as we follow along or as you listen to what is it that is the main point? What is the main driving thing that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in these moments? Let's read together. Follow me in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me... 
and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Skip down to verse 16. He closes this section by saying, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So at least for me, as I've read and been meditating on this passage for many years, the thing that jumps out at me in terms of what Jesus wants his disciples to hear the most is abide. Now, Jesus makes it clear in verse 16 that the reason he chose them and that he appointed them was to go and bear fruit and that their fruit should abide. But then also look back at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So not only is there this idea of abiding, but there's this idea of fruit-bearing that's going on in this passage. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Well, let's, let's be clear about one thing from this passage. God wants a lot of fruit. God is looking for fruit. God has designed this whole system so that there would be a lot of fruit bearing that is going on. It's all through woven within this passage. And because of that, God wants glory. But here, if we're not careful, is often where we get into trouble. We hear that God wants fruit, and so we run off and we try to start producing fruit. And we try to figure out all kinds of ways that we can produce fruit. And then, once we start producing fruit, we try to figure out all the kinds of ways that we can produce even more fruit. And after that, we try to figure out how we can do, produce even more fruit better and faster. At least that's just the way we do it here in the U.S. Like better, faster, more. We, we create organizations. We, we create processes. We hire and recruit and select people and train and equip and ultimately deploy them to, to create all kinds of fruit. But in doing so, we often miss an extremely essential point that Jesus is trying to communicate in this passage about the means and about the method of producing fruit. So in this morning's message, it's all about the method and the means. It's all about how that fruit is actually going to come to fruition. 
And our desire here is to help us to understand, or my desire is to help us understand what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples about this all-important subject. Because, friends, if we get this wrong, the consequences can be devastating. But if we get this right, if we really hear the voice and the call of Jesus, if we get this right, the outcome is, oh, oh, so glorious. <laughs> it is, oh, so glorious. So let's, uh, let's dive in here. And first we want to look at the clear order. Because Jesus lays out an extremely plain, clear order in this text, in these last moments with these precious friends of here, of his. In verses 4 and 5, we've read it a number of times. I'm not going to go back to it, but Jesus talks about the clear order. And the clear order is this, abide, bear fruit, God gets glory. So be, let's be clear about the order, okay? Abiding is first and foremost. That's the start of this whole process. Abiding, then fruit, then glory. No abiding, no fruit. Okay? Thank you for the amen, because that's really important. No abiding, no fruit, no glory. And if you're a child of God this morning and you believe what the Westminster Catechism says that you're, the chief end of your life is to glorify God, then you want to abide, bear fruit, and have the Father be glorified. That's, that's what this is all about. That's the clear order. And it's important that we don't get things out of order because it's very easy for us to do because as ambitious desiring servants of the Lord. We want to go out there and bear plenty of fruit so that God gets plenty of glory. But so many times we miss and forget to abide because that's the key to this whole thing. What we've been called to do is abide. And when we abide, there will be fruit. And when there is fruit, there will be glory to the Father in heaven. That's essential. So to help us, Jesus gives us an analogy. He gives us an illustration of the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. And so I want to look at this analogy for a few minutes because it's really important. It helps us understand the roles and the responsibilities in this system that God has created. So first of all, we're going to start a little bit out of order, and we're going to go with the second character in the story, and that is the vine dresser. Jesus says there in verse 1, he says, and my father is the vine dresser. So the vine dresser is the owner. He owns the vineyard, and everything in the vineyard belongs to him. All the vines belong to him. All the branches belong to him. All the fruit belongs to him. All of it. And the, and the vine dresser's primary responsibility is to monitor and to maintain the vine and the branches, the branches in particular, in order to get the maximum amount of fruit out of this vineyard. That's his responsibility. And then ultimately, when this vineyard is bursting with fruit, the vine dresser gets to enjoy the fruit of his labor, and he receives all the glory. 
But then we have the vine, and the vine, in this case, is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And there's a key word I want you to remember this morning. This is one of the most important words as we talk about this analogy, and that is that the true vine, Jesus, the true vine is the source. Jesus is the source of life and fruitfulness. As a matter of fact, Peter, in one of his earliest sermons in the book of Acts, actually refers to the Lord Jesus as the author of life. Jesus is the source of life. God created the world through Christ, the Word, who was with him in the beginning. Now, notice Jesus calls himself the true vine, and I think the reason for that word being, that adjective being inserted in there is that in the Old Testament, God refers to the nation of Israel as his vine and his vineyard. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm the true vine. I am the ultimate culmination and fulfillment of all of that Old Testament imagery and shadow and analogy. And as I said before, the vine's job is to be the source. And as the source, the vine conveys, the vine conveys or sends the vital nutrients and elements both to and ultimately through the branches. And I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, but it's really important to tie this together. Notice that I word, use the words to and through. The vine sends or conveys the vital nutrients in this story to and through the branches because notice the branches bear fruit. does not say that they produce fruit. It says they bear fruit. So what's that about? Well, the Greek word bear does not mean to generate or to manufacture or to produce. It simply means to hold up. It simply means to display. So you and I are divinely created display cases. You and I are divinely created branches to just display the fruit that the vine produces. Keep that in mind, it's super important. The vine contains and possesses everything, everything necessary for the production of fruit. The branch is just a vehicle. The branch is just a conduit. And we've got to remember that because remember, no vine and no connection to the vine, no fruit. We can have all the branches we want, but if we don't have the vine, we have no fruit. So we as the branches, we, we, I don't know about you, but there are times when we want to be the vine dresser. There are times when we, we'd like to be the vine. Especially, you know, the vine dresser, he gets to prune. Maybe, maybe there's some people in your life you'd like to prune. Sorry, that's not your job. That's the Lord's job. He's the vine dresser. We, we'd love to be the vine dresser. We'd love to be the vine. But he says, no, no, no. I have the perfect role for you. And it says branches. It says that conduit that God wants to use to bear much fruit for the glory of his name. This is the clear calling of this passage. This is the clear command, the encouragement, and I would even say the invitation that Jesus gives. And that is, be the branches 
and just abide. So before we move on, let me repeat what I shared earlier. Abiding, fruit, glory. No abiding, no fruit, no glory. So let's go to point number two because if we are not bearing fruit, I don't know about you, but the tendency is to go, dang, man, I need to bear some fruit. Like I gotta get out there and I gotta work harder. I gotta try harder. I gotta sacrifice more. And we run off to try to produce fruit. And we forget that Jesus said, nope, that's not your job. Your job is to abide. Your job is to stay put. So let's take a deeper look at that, abide. The word abide appears seven different times, seven times in verses four to seven. Now, for those of you who are, who are not who don't really study the scriptures or are maybe wouldn't consider yourself scholarly, that may just kind of go over your head because it has done that many times in my life. But the more I've been taught and the more I've learned, when, when the Holy Spirit uses that level of repetition, God is up to something. And he's saying abide. It's really important because not only does he say it seven times just in those three verses, he says it again three more times in verses nine to 10 in a slightly different context about him and his father. So what does the word abide mean anyway? Abide means to remain. It means to continue. It means to stay put. And if you think about it, the disciples had been walking with Jesus. They had been with him. Remember in Mark, when it talks about the calling of the 12, it says, and he called and appointed 12 apostles so that they might be with him. And so for these last three and a half years, these, this group of men and women had been with Jesus, and he's saying, stay put. Continue. And it's interesting that where he says this to them is they're seated around a table, reclining at a table, which means they're leaning on one another, uh, having a meal together in, in the ancient East was an extremely intimate, intimate thing to do. You didn't just do this with anybody. And so Jesus is with this intimate group and he says, do you see what we have right here? Continue right here. Connected to me. United with me. Remain. Stay put. So here's the key takeaway that I want you to think about this morning. This is huge. This is really, really important. And this is a lesson that I've had to learn the hard way. And that is, is that abiding does not come through brute force. Abiding does not come through brute force and sheer will. It's not how it happens. Abiding does not come through good works or from any other kind of humanly, fleshly, manufactured thing. Abiding only happens one way, and it comes from a life that is surrendered and yielded to God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, also referred to by Peter and Paul in their epistles in different points as the Spirit of Jesus the Holy Spirit, if you've been born again, if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, you've been born again, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit lives in you, he resides in you, he is the agent of Jesus Christ in you to 
keep you connected and to allow you to bear fruit. So the Holy Spirit is important. Now, this surrender has a beginning, and I already referred to the first part. The beginning of our surrender is this place of, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. You died in my place. Just like Pastor Phil was talking about this morning. We celebrated, we recognized, we acknowledged, we remembered the fact that Jesus Christ died for me and for us. And we surrendered everything to him. But this surrender has an incredibly important and ongoing aspect to it. It involves a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, repeated decision to simply yield ourselves to the filling, control, and power of the Holy Spirit. If you would, look with me for a moment at Romans chapter 8, an all-important passage on this topic and subject, Romans chapter 8. Now, don't have a lot of time to go into this, but if you think about it, Romans 6, 7, and 8. And again, for those of you who are not familiar, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are a mini treatise inside of this larger treatise of the Apostle Paul. And verses and chapters 6, 7, and 8 are all about salvation, struggle, and sanctification, and freedom. And in Romans chapter 8, we get the key to freedom because in Romans chapter 6 we find out we need to surrender our life to Christ we need to be born again we need to be baptized then in chapter 7 we wake up and Paul is struggling with this I, do, I don't do what I want to do I do what I don't want to do I can't do what I want to do and all I can do is what I don't want to do but then he gets to the end and here's the key friends the transition at the end of chapter 7 into chapter 8 is critical because Paul is not saying in chapter 7 that we are left to ourselves in chapter 7 Paul ushers us into chapter 8 and chapter 8 is the solution to the struggle it is the solution to the crisis of faith that we may experience after we come to Christ and the solution is living in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at with me in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we just stop and say, praise the Lord? <laughs> there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Notice that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's freedom for those who are in Christ. Freedom from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us, but in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, or in the power of, or in the mindset of the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live 
according to and step with in the power of the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life because of righteousness... If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. This is the key. The Holy Spirit will bring those dead bones in us to life. It is the only way that we can live. It is the only way that we can abide. We can't remain in Christ just because we try harder. It's about surrender. Let's look at Romans chapter 6 for one final thought from Paul on this topic before we go back to John 15. Romans chapter 6, which is where this whole thought begins, 6, 7, and 8. I really encourage you to go home and read 6, 7, and 8 together and see the fullness of what God is calling us into by abiding in Christ through the power of the Spirit. But notice what he says here, Romans 6, verse 13. Well, let's back up. Verse 12 gives us context. Let not sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And we think back to Ecclesiastes and we go, man, there's sin reigning all over the place. But he says to us as believers, let not sin. Why? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace and so this idea in verse 13 is the key this presentation it's the same word yield it's the same word we've been talking about, surrender. And what Paul is saying is on a daily basis, and by the way, the tense in the Greek here is an ongoing, repetitive action. This is not, I got saved, thank you Jesus, and now I'm going to go live my life the way I want to. No, it's an ongoing presentation. It's an ongoing surrender of all of my members. What are your members? Your members are your hands, your feet, your mouth your ears, your eyes. What, what are we letting in our eye gates? What are we letting in the ear gates? Where are we allowing our feet to take us? What are we putting our hands to? He says, don't present, don't yield, don't surrender your members to sin, but rather to God as weapons. It actually says in one translation, as weapons of righteousness. Paul said in Galatians 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. Dear friends, that is the life that God has called us into is abiding in the vine, staying connected to Christ. Now, abiding begins with surrender, but abiding is nurtured by the word of God in prayer. Abiding is, and I want to, and I'm being very careful with my words this morning, nurtured. Abiding is nurtured by the word of God in prayer because as we expose ourselves to the truth of God, the Holy Spirit is, al- is allowed to come in and to change our minds and to change the way we think about ourselves, about our neighbor, about the world, about God. God's word is a two-edged sword able to do surgery in each and every one of us and make us think the way he wants us to think. So abiding is nurtured by the word of God. Abiding is nurtured by both personal and corporate praise and worship. What we're doing here this morning together is a way of nurturing our abiding. Our abiding is nurtured through serving the Lord as he calls and equips us to do that. It is nurtured by some of the other spiritual disciplines that you may be aware of. But here's the key distinction. Abiding remains primarily and essentially a place of surrender. If the nurturing thing becomes the main thing, we've lost the thing. So, some people, they read their Bibles and it's check the, check the box, I got that done. No, no, no. Put yourself before the Lord. Surrender yourself and say, Father, speak to me through your word. Change my mind. Because it's the changing of my mind that's going to lead to the changing of my life. It's not just me gutting it out and saying, man, I got to do better at that. If you think about scriptures that that talk about, like in 1 Corinthians 13, love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all these things. Or you think about Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? We look at those things and we go, man, I got to do more of that patience thing. Man, I got to do more of that goodness thing. I I really need to be more kind. No, 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 no. It is not a to-do list. If Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13 are not to-do lists, they're fruit evaluation lists. If those fruits are absent, it's not time to try to go be more this or be more that. It's time to repent and abide. Because the Holy Spirit is the only one who's going to give you the power to love like you need to love. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can give you the power to be patient the way you need to be patient. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can give you the self-control that you need to avoid temptation. Don't try harder. Surrender and abide. The last point this morning is the certain outcome. The certain outcome, because I want you to be encouraged. There is a certain inevitable outcome and the certain inevitable outcome is that if we abide in Christ there's going to be fruit it's guaranteed the vine guarantees it you stay connected to me you will bear fruit and not only that you will bear much fruit why because the vine dresser is going to see you bearing fruit and he's going to come along and he's going to prune And he's going to cut away the unproductive parts of the branch that are holding the branch back from bearing, not producing, but bearing more fruit. 
And pruning can be really, really hard. I, I know I've been through some pruning in the last year and a half, and God has been so faithful. God has been so tender and so kind. But I can't say that it hasn't hurt. You know, there's a fun story from uh, Charles Stanley. Some of you older folks like me, familiar with the name Charles Stanley. Uh, he shared a story when he, he lived in North Carolina, lived in uh, the area of the country where there's a lot of vineyards. And one day he decided to go out and visit one of his parishioners. And he happened upon this guy as he was pruning in his vineyard. And he was just hacking and hacking and hacking and hacking at this branch. And Charles couldn't help himself. He said, stop, stop. You're going to kill that tree. And the vineyard owner looked at him and smiled and said, Pastor, you stick to preaching and leave the pruning to me. And that story has impacted my life deeply because there are times when I bet some of you in this room feel like you're going to die. And you don't know if you can take any more of God's pruning. And the Father looks at you and he says, Hey, you stick to abiding and leave the pruning to me. I love you. I have a plan for you. I've designed and created and redeemed you for this very purpose that you would bear fruit it's the inevitable outcome but so is if we don't abide the outcome is inevitable no matter how much we try no matter how much effort we put in there will be no lasting fruit because remember what Jesus said in chapter 15 verse 16 he said I chose you and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit and that your fruit would abide remain continue so this morning dear saint dear friend I just encourage you to to just learn what it looks like and what it means on a daily basis moment by moment and you may have to do this dozens of times in a day where you hit that wall and go, God, I can't, I can't be patient. I can't be kind. I can't figure out this problem. And God's just saying, surrender. Surrender. Give it to me. And I will bear the fruit in and through you that I desire. Amen?